very, very, very uh, important topic this evening. The title of the message is No Condemnation, one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest facts that every believer, that every Christian has in their life. But we're going to look at two types of condemnation, and then we're, going to, we're going to wrap this thing up in a nice pretty bow tonight at the end and give you a story out of Luke chapter 23. So the two areas that we're going to look tonight is in Romans chapter 8 and then Luke chapter 23. So in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that after the Spirit, the, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are, not debt, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now every word, every jot, every tittle in the 66 books of the Bible is the Word of God. Every aspect of it. The Bible has been purified, preserved, and is perfect in its very being sat before us this evening. However, there are certain chapters that particularly stand out in the Bible, okay? And it doesn't, it doesn't underemphasize or demonize any other parts of the Scripture, but because of the importance and the weight of the material that those particular chapters cover, they tend to stand out maybe above and beyond other chapters. Genesis 3 and 4. Is a good example of that. Uh, John 3, John 17, in my opinion, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, those four chapters right there are pinnacle chapters in the Word of God and what it teaches about the relationship between the Father and the Son and us and, and all of these different things. They're just chapters that stand out above other chapters. They're chapters that are loaded, if you will, with information. 1 Corinthians 15 is another one, loaded information within that chapter. So the book of Romans, the great chapter, if you want to call it, is chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a, is a pinnacle chapter within the book of Romans. Paul writes this letter in AD 58, just months prior to his arrest uh, in, in Jerusalem where the arrest occurs. But he writes Romans, uh, the letter to the Roman Christians, which again, we come back to Romans chapter 8 when we begin to look at it of which that part that tells us that there's nothing that can remove us uh, from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors, that it says in the end of the chapter, and yet we find out Paul's getting ready to face one of the greatest uh, fights in the, and foes that he's fought in the entire time of his ministry. 
The two natures are the subject of Romans chapter 8, specifically in the first 14 verses that we just read. The greatest promise in the entire New Testament on eternal security is found in Romans 8. We see those in verses 28 through 39. Greatest promise. If you ever have a shred of doubt about your eternal security and salvation in Christ, whether or not you think you can lose it or can't get into all this and that, you go to Romans chapter 8, read verses uh, 29 or th- 28 through 39, and that should secure your heart to know that you cannot lose your salvation. The second coming is even mentioned within the chapter. But leading up to the chapter, there's an outline, and we begin to understand the context of Romans 8. Now, guys, I'm going to get to Luke 23 here in just a little while. But I want us to look at the two types of condemnations tonight so we can thoroughly understand, especially Romans 8.1, which is the verse we're going to be looking at, so that we can thoroughly understand that. Leading up to this chapter, we have in Romans chapter 5, we have uh, Romans 5 compares Adam's death uh, with Christ's death, okay? And then in chapter 6, we find Christ's death is related to the spiritual death of the Christian to sin and flesh. In Romans chapter 7, of which we will allude to here in just a little while again, shows the relation of the law to the spiritual death of the Christian in Christ. And so by the time you get to chapter 8, the context is pretty well, it's pretty well rutted out, if you will. It's pretty well driven. And it deals with the relation of the death of the Christian in the future or to the future. It's a unique chapter. It is one that establishes what, I'm, what I say tonight, a few absolutes. Now, usually when I say that's an absolute, you get some people back there perking up. Because a lot of times in the world that we live in today, especially our world that is filled with indifference, people don't like absolutes. You have it your way, I have it my way. We think we live in a Burger King society today. That works for you, doesn't work for me. But hey, let's have a good time. We can go out, we can be friends, we can be family, we can high five. But you know what, man? You do yours, I'll do mine, and we'll all meet in the middle. That's called relativity. And that's not reality. You see, my friend, there's a unique chapter that establishes the absolutes. And again, I say an absolute. One of those we read in verse 14 says, For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're saved and born again tonight, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have trusted and put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for your eternal salvation, tonight you are a son of God. Period. There's no question. That is an absolute deceiving. And Jesus Christ said himself in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. How many times have you guys heard me say this, especially in Faith Rx, about believing on something compared to believing in something? You can believe in the chair all day long, right? Matter of fact, I, this is a great example. Uh, today I sat down in a chair this morning, and, uh, and i got to be honest, when I see plastic chairs, I always have doubt. I have doubt no matter what. I look at them and I go, man, it's either going to happen or I become a Calvinist for five seconds. I'm like, am I going to get it out of the way? And it's, it's just destined to happen, whatever it may be. But I sat down in that thing and what happened? The, the front left uh, leg, reek, it did this. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I sat on three legs one of the time I was in the church before I got up and preached. And, and I'm just telling you, uh, you know, I have very little faith in plastic chairs, okay? It's just the way it is. But tonight, every one of you exercised some type of faith this evening on the chair you're sitting in because you sat down and more than likely didn't give a second thought whether or not it was going to hold you. That is believing on something. That is believing on Jesus Christ as opposed to believing in Jesus Christ. And that is an absolute this evening. Now, it's a positive absolute. Us being the sons of God, being born-again believers is a positive. 
But in the very same chapter, we find a negative absolute as well. Verse 8 tells us this. So then they that are of the flesh, or sorry, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Unconverted, or the portion of us that is unconverted, that old man, that sinful nature, or an unbeliever, cannot please God. Now, at the end of the day, if you don't believe in God, you have that right. You also have the right to be wrong about a lot of other things, too. And you're never going to please God outside of being in Jesus Christ. So this is an absolute here in the flesh. We cannot, not could not, should not, maybe not. You cannot please God. And it's referred to that sinful nature of mankind. Paul says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, what does he say? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. To go back to our Faith Rx last month on what is faith, I, I, we, we talked about that, uh, you know, briefly about what faith is, and everyone has some type of faith in their life, you know, but your faith is always dependent about what you place it in. Remember, we looked at Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, and, uh, or 14 through 21, and we remember that Jesus is up on Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they're walking down the hillside, the disciples are down there, the, the son and his dad, and, and here's this demon-possessed kid, and the disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus called him a perverse generation. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him here, cast him out, done and dusted. Then the disciples came over and said, man, why couldn't we cast him out? And you know what the Lord said? He, he didn't say, well, it's all right. It's okay for you. It's okay for you. He said, because of your unbelief, you don't believe. He rebuked him. He said, if you just have a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move yonder hence, and off it goes. A grain of a mustard seed is the smallest seed there is. But a grain of a mustard seed can't do anything in your hand or in your pocket. It is only worth something when it is planted in the proper source. Your faith tonight is only as good as what you place it in. And this is what Paul is telling us about pleasing God. When we're talking about these condemnations we're going to get into here in just a moment, about there being no condemnation in those that, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are in Christ Jesus, we understand that there is a faith that comes along with that. If your faith is in anything, please listen to this tonight. If your faith is in anything whatsoever outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not please God. You cannot. It is an absolute impossibility. The reason for this, we know in verse 7 of our chapter, in Romans chapter 8, says because the carnal mind is enmity with God. Our carnal, the word carnal means flesh, okay? Uh, carnivore, you know, a carnival is a flesh fest, flesh festival. So carnality or, or carnal mind is your fleshly mind, your unconverted mind, the sinful side of our old nature that is there. And the reason being because Paul says it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. The, the, flesh, the fleshful mind does and thinks and says what it wants to do. It is undisciplined. You know, one of the simplest definitions of discipline in order to succeed in life, to do what you need to do, to, to grab a hold of what you want to have, to reach the goals, the gains, whatever it is in your life, is simply to do the things that you don't want to do that's going to help you reach the goals that you desire. But undisciplined is the opposite. It's, it also ties into not doing the things you want to do so that you can reach the goals that you desire. That's what discipline is. It's doing the things that you don't want to do that'll help you and not doing the things that you want to do that's going to hurt you. There's plenty of those things in our life. 
I've said it time and time again, guys, if you can't say no, you're weak. And I know that sounds mean. You're like, I'll preach your Sunday night, man. Be nice. It's December. It's Christmas time. This is the last negative sermon for the year, man. I promise. Maybe. I'm just trying to say tonight, you've got to have the ability to say no. If you can't say no when it comes to things in your life and your desires, you're never going to get past that point to where you can please God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So we've seen some absolutes, guys, but there's one other that I want to look at, and it will encompass the duration of this sermon, the rest of this message, which I think is the greatest blessing. Who cares what I think? It is the greatest blessing that mankind has ever received, and it's found in the first verse. In Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But we got to know what we're looking at in verse 1, okay? Because if you're not careful, as a matter of fact, your modern versions has removed the second half of that verse. Do you want to know why? Because they believe, because of an improper interpretation, that it teaches a work salvation. What is the rest of the verse? Well, you know what? There's no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. That sounds awesome. Oh, them that walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. Wait a second. You mean I got to do something? It's not it. I gave you a timeline just a moment ago, and we got to understand what condemnation we're speaking about here. There are two types of condemnation. A condemnation, the word condemnation means to legally or morally put a thing down. That's what that means. And there's two sides of it, legally and morally, okay? The word damn and damnation, you hear people flippantly use that. Do you know what you're saying when you use that D word? You're either pronouncing a hellfire sentence on someone or asking God to kill them. One of two. Think about that the next time you want to use that word inappropriately. That's where the word comes from, damnation, condemnation. So in John chapter 5, verse 24, I'm just going to give you this verse. You can write it down if you'd like. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me have everlasting life and shall not come to condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Now, what type of condemnation is that? That is an eternal condemnation. That is the refusal or the rejection of Jesus Christ. But when we tie that back into Romans in chapter 8, we think, well, how, wait, how does that condemnation tie into what Jesus Christ said? You, not only are we in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, but we also have to walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, in order to have no uh, eternal damnation. It's not what it says. The reason being is we, and I mentioned that we would talk about chapter 7 just a little bit more tonight. In chapter 7, the discussion of the two natures in the life of the believer, we find in verses 17 and in verse 25, speak about the conduct of the believer. The conflict between the flesh, what the flesh wants to do, and what the new man wants to do. So chapter 8 is a continuation of that subject. And so when we're talking about conduct, guys, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation or an unbeliever coming to salvation, it is speaking to the Christian having, believe, having um, victory over sin in their life. So this condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, is not the same condemnation found in John chapter 5, verse 24, or, or Mark chapter 16, 16, that says someone's damned to hell. That, that's, it's, it's a different condemnation. This is a temporary condemnation. We're going to see both in the close of this sermon tonight. And you may say, well, how do I know that? 
One of the verses we read tonight was Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Oh, wait a second here. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. So if we're talking about an eternal condemnation now, of which Christ says there is none to those that believe on his name, yeah, to those who walk after the Spirit. If we're talking about an eternal condemnation, now it looks like there's something we got to do to avoid that hellfire condemnation. And that just doesn't add up in any other scriptures in the, in the Word of God when you appropriately apply them. So I ask you this question tonight. Can a Christian, can a believer be carnal? Can they live fleshly according to their fleshly mind? Keep in mind, Paul's writing to Roman Christians, not Roman lost people. So that kind of gives the answer away right there. But he writes under the Corinthian church, and he says, and I, brethren, anytime the word brethren is associated, who is he speaking to? Saved, born-again individuals, Christians. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. He says, even as unto babes in Christ. He goes on in verse 3 to say, for ye, mean all y'all, ye are yet carnal, he says. So a Christian who doesn't live right can be condemned to a physical death by God, which is a temporary or temporal condemnation, a judgment, if you will, but not have an eternal condemnation, which is in a devil's hell. Does that make sense? It's simple when you spell it out. I'll give you an example. I mean, since we didn't sing anything other than one song tonight, we've got a little extra time, but I'm not going to rob you guys of that. But has anybody in here ever doubted? The Bible tells me this in Romans 14, 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he is not a faith, and whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Okay, fine. Have you ever doubted in your Christian life? I'm talking about after the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, uh, have you ever had a doubt in your life? It's a loaded question, man, okay? If you tell me, nope, I've never doubted, well, that makes you a liar. And Revelation 21 says all layers have their part in the lake of fire. So pick one tonight, okay? We've all doubted. If I was to come over to Rob here and I say, Rob, do you, have you ever doubted that you have two million, I didn't say one million tonight because it's him, but anyway, two million pound in the bank. Have you ever doubted that, ever? <laughs> you've, you've never doubted that, have you? Yeah. Have you ever doubted it? Not wished or wanted it, but have you ever doubted it? No. Do you know why he's never doubted it? And I, you know why I haven't doubted that? Because I know for a fact it ain't there. See, guys, we don't doubt what we don't have. But to tell a Christian that if you ever doubt your salvation, that you're lost or you're on your way to hell or you're damned or you're condemned, that is wrong scripturally in so many ways. You don't doubt what you don't have. But when you have something, the devil plays those little tricks on, did you really mean it? Did you really say the right words? Did you feel it? Was it just an emotion? Are you just doing what the crowd? You have those things. And that's what we find comes into our life. But yet Paul says, if you doubt, you, uh, you are damned if you, you know, if you eat because you eat not by faith. So no, we've all doubted. A believer can stumble in their faith and not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. It, it, it can happen. I mean, you can defile your conscience as a Christian. 
1 Corinthians 8, 7, Howbeit there is not it, not in every man that, uh, that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto the hour eat. It is a thing offered unto idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's ideal. But I am telling you tonight that you can doubt, and you can stumble, and you can make mistakes, and you can do things that you shouldn't do, and you're still not going to be eternally damned to hellfire if you were a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, because you're eternally saved. You cannot lose on your own account what you never could earn on your own account. So the word condemned, temporal or eternal, applies in our life. You see it used, in, you see it actually in the same verse, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. Speaking of the Lord's table, it says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the world. As a child of God, we are chastened, just like your mom and daddy chastened you. They uh, disciplined you as a child when you stepped out of line. Your mom and daddy didn't do that because they hated you. They did that because they love you. That's the Bible. The Bible says, spare the rod, hate thy son. But Paul goes on to say that we should not be condemned with the world. See, there's a condemnation to unbelievers that is eternal, and you can never come back from it. There is a judgment that will come against a Christian tonight that if you are not living right, walking right, talking, if you're not doing the right things continually over and over and over, the Lord may just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring this judgment into your life. But the beauty and the theme of, the, of this thought in its entirety this evening would be those that are in Christ Jesus. There, are, there is no condemnation in the eternal those that walk in right in the eyes of God, there is no condemnation in the temporal. Why do you think that's important in today's world? Why make it such a big to-do for 22 minutes, just to sum it up here now with a story from Luke 23? Why is that important to us? Do you know 301 million people in the world today are living every single waking moment of their life with some type of anxiety disorder. Whatever reason. There are over 58 million children and adolescents today that are dealing with some type of anxiety issue in their life. Over 84% of the population live every single day with an irrational fear. An irrational fear. It could be darkness. It's okay to be afraid of spiders. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not irrational. That's normal. If you don't fear spiders, something's wrong with you, okay? And anything with eight legs, for that matter. Do you know more than a third of young people in the world today, they live in daily fear of crime? And I'm saying that to us tonight, and let's be honest, guys. We live in a white pick fence world. We live in, there's probably not one person in this room this evening who when they got out of their car in the car park there, or when they go home tonight, they get out of their car and walk to their door, that they're doing this. Not one person. It's a world we live in, the society we live in here. We are very guarded. We are very protected. But for one-third of the population, they don't live that way. They live in a constant fear of crime. Why do I mention all that? What does that mean to us? It means this damnatory sentence of condemnation in the eternal. For the child of God, the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
there is nothing but pure, 100% peace about what is on the other side of this life. It doesn't matter what you think works for you or works for me. There's only one way. There's only one way that works to give you the peace tonight of if you took your last breath and your chin fell to your chest and when you lift, that, lift up your chin one more time in eternity and open your eyes that you're going to see the face of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus Christ said. One way. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. My soul, there's peace there. I've been asked a number of times, do I fear death? I don't fear death. I was given a choice just like the over 8 billion souls in this world today are given a choice every single day. And it's their choice and their choice alone to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells me, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What a beautiful thing it is, man. You know, we may be concerned about finances. We may be concerned about technology. We may be concerned about uh, petrol prices and traffic and all of those things. But you know one thing I'm not concerned about tonight? I'm not concerned about death. Not one drop. And that, that fills over into my life, and it just gives a peace at times that allows me to get through the issues of finances, allows me to get through the issues of technology, and sometimes even traffic. So guys, I think there's a story, and I, w- I want to close with this tonight. I've got three quick popcorn points, and I'm going to close with this story. Luke chapter 23, it takes us to the cross. Jesus Christ is hanged there on the cross, Luke 23. We're going to begin in verse 33. And the Bible says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, on the other left. And, they, and then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. It said, This is the king of the Jews, verse 39. And one of the malefactors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou are in the same condemnation. These guys are in a condemnation because judgment was enacted upon them because they were criminals. Now they're getting ready to face an eternal condemnation, but they are in the middle of their temporal condemnation. Now does it make sense? Verse 41, we indeed justly, he says, for we receive due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Now, if you write in your Bibles, if you mark, if you underscore, underscore that four-word letter right there, that name, Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So the first thing that we find here on the cross this day when we're talking about this, this, this dual subject of condemnation is we find a conversation. A conversation occurs. And one of the malefactors which hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. 
this criminal who was hanging on this cross, getting his due reward, uh, he was found guilty for his crimes. Somehow along the way, he's listening to the mocking voice of the world. He's listening to the rulers. He's listening to the Romans. He's listening to uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. And he says, he saved, he saved others and let him save himself if thou be the Christ the chosen of God. He gave heed to the soldiers who were mocking out our Savior on the cross. That was his position as he hung there dying. Have you ever thought about why that superscription was written in three different languages? You ever thought about why they said this is the king of the Jews? You think, some, I've heard people teach say that, it was just, that, that Pilate was just taking the mick out of the Jews, that he was just kind of mocking them out or doing this and that. But you ever really truly thought about that? So a few years back, I preached a sermon about change your thought, change your outcome. And I went over a detailed account of what actually happened on the day Jesus Christ was crucified. It was very, very detailed. And in some ways, it was quite sickening. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us this, as many as were astonished at him, his visage, his visage was so marred, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. In other words, Jesus Christ, the reason we have the superscription written, written verse 38, the reason it's there in three different languages is because of Isaiah 52, 14. That which hung in the middle cross was unrecognizable even as a man. They bludgeoned and beaten him so bad, they scourged him to where flays of tissue and sinews were, were hanging there. They beat his face. They pulled his beard out. They put the crown of thorns. He was a mess beyond mess, unrecognizable even as a human. That's why the sign's up there. Yet there's a conversation going between this, a conversation about whether or not he is the king, the Jews, the chosen of God. But that conversation from one man led to a conviction of another man. In verse 40, we find it says, uh, And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Saying, Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. Now, I don't know where he got his information. I don't know if he was earshot away when Pilate said, he's done nothing wrong. I washed my hands, he's done nothing wrong. Maybe he heard that. Maybe when he was in the middle of, of doing the crimes that he was committing, he heard about Jesus who, who healed the paralytic and healed the blind and healed the dumb and, and healed the deaf and, and fed the 25,000 and, and got the dead to walk. I mean, maybe he heard about all those. I have no earthly idea. You know what may, may have been? You know what, Rachel, it could have been? It could have been just a good old-fashioned Holy Spirit of God laid upon his heart. Amen. Amen? It could have just been the bearing witness of the Holy Spirit of God that came down and said, this guy's done nothing wrong. You need to believe on him. I don't know, but I do know this, that conviction laid in on this man. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somewhere along the line, that faith in his heart was reverberated. He knew he was condemned in the temporal. So lastly, it brought forth a confession. That old thief said, and he said unto Jesus, Lord... I told you guys to underline that, highlight it, remember it, put it indelibly in your mind. That of the thief, when he rebuked, he rebuked the one that was railing, he leaned over there to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One of the verses we use to, to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ is Romans 10, 9. 
And it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know what we love to do? Man, we love to run, hide, I mean, hide no hair down to that saved bit. We want to get to the saved bit. You just, you'll get saved. That's what we want. But you can't get saved nor believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's going to do you zero bit of good if you don't confess Jesus Christ as God. He's got to be God. And that thief on that cross, you know what he said? He didn't say master. He didn't say teacher. He didn't say Rabboni. He said, Lord, remember me, listen to this, when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's yours, he said. This is your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The man confessed Jesus was innocent, number one. He confessed Jesus as God, number two. He professed that it's Jesus' kingdom, number three. Now, we're under a different dispensation during this time, and, I, and if this is not beautiful enough, tying a nice little bow around it and make it pretty and let it unfold before our eyes tonight in closing, Jesus says to the dying convicted thief, get this, someone who will never, ever, ever, ever do one thing for Jesus Christ or anyone else on this planet. He's dying. He is temporally con condemned. His life is moments from being over with. And he didn't want to be eternally condemned. He wanted the marker, no condemnation on his life. But he was never going to do anything for Jesus. He wasn't going to feed the poor. He wasn't going to help the sick. He wasn't going to lend money to anyone. There was nothing in his life he was going to do. And mind, while we're on that topic, there was nothing in his life he ever did. And Jesus leaned over to him, and he said, today, not tomorrow, not limbo, not purgatory, not, you're not going to be floating around in outer space in that kooky teaching. He says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Under this dispensation, prior to the first ascension of Jesus Christ, paradise is where? It's in the heart of the earth. We know that by Luke 16, when Lazarus died, not Lazarus, Mary's brother, but the other Lazarus, who's feeding from the crumbs of the rich man's table, when he died, he was placed in what's called Abraham's bosom. Now, that's a doctrine and a teaching for another time, but understand this, uh, that rich man who was cast out, taken over into hell, and he was in torments, plural, he looked up at Father Abraham, and he says, have Lazarus just come and dip his finger in water, just a drop, a, a drop was pure ecstasy of water. And Abraham said, there's a great gulf fixed between us. He ain't leaving here. You're not leaving there. And besides, there's a great gulf between us, so you can't go anywhere. So paradise is in the heart of the earth. Hell is in the heart of the earth. And so when we have this thief on the cross who Jesus Christ says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, I mean, can you imagine the news in that thief's heart, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of all things, says, today you're going to be with me in paradise? Woo! I don't know. He may have died right then. Who knows? He could have died of excitement for all I know. I do know this. When that old boy rocked up into paradise, Abraham went, what in the world are you doing here? How did you get here? I can see Abraham, I can, Denise, I can see Abraham looking at that old thief on the cross, knowing who he is, old convicted criminal, and he looked at him and he says, man, what in the world did you do to get here in paradise? You know what that boy said? Nothing. Not a thing. Abraham sat back and said, well, I don't understand, man. You're not on the list. How did you get here? 
I don't know. I was on the cross a little bit ago. I was having a conversation, and now I'm here. All of a sudden, the door opens. Abraham's just doing this right here, going, hang on a second. I'll be with you in just a minute. Listen, how did you come to get into paradise, young man? And that old young man looks around. He goes, you see that guy that just came in? He said, I could. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, one of the greatest gifts that we have ever been given outside of salvation is the simple fact and peace of mind that there is zero condemnation in the believer's life and another life to come. And if that doesn't give you peace and rest today, I, there is nothing else in this world. Our world today is bent on trying to find satisfaction, trying to find peace, trying to find comfort, trying to heal their mind. They're doing everything, every seven step, 12 step, five step, every challenge. They're doing everything on earth to try to find this peace and this comfort, and they're never going to find it until they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. When they come to the reality that as a believer in Jesus Christ today, there's no condemnation. And you can lay your head down at night and you can say, you know what? If I take my last breath, if my heart beats for the final time, if I close my eyes in this world and open them in the next, I'm going to see my Savior, the one that leaned over to that thief and said, you're going to be with me today. There is no better peace. And my friend tonight, for those that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there is no eternal condemnation. And if you will walk according to the Word of God, There'll be no temporal condemnation. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we thank you for the time, the opportunity, the moments to be here this evening. Father, I pray that you would watch over us, give us the guidance and grace that we need to better and best serve you. I do love you and thank you for all that you've done. And I pray that you take your holy word this evening and write it upon the table of the hearts of every hearer that's here, everyone that uh, was in the earshot. Lord, whether it be online or whether it be in person tonight, I just pray that you work a mighty work in their lives. Lord, I do love you, and I do thank you. And, Lord, I ask that we just today would take that which we've heard and greatly and wonderfully apply it into our lives. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Guys, I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching is a blessing to your heart this evening.